Hello, boys and girls. This is Timothy Leary, and I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, the only hope here is WCBN-FM. If you're ever stuck in Ann Arbor, stick around with WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. <laughs> That's beautiful. Right on. Well, it's about 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And who would have thought that uh, Labor Day in Michigan would be hotter than the 4th of July? But uh, It this is a scorcher. This is the new wonderful world of climate change, I guess. It's Some, not all attributable. I mean, we get hot weather this time of year from time to time, but this uh, weekend has been unusual for uh, early this, September. Yeah, it's uh, like Washington, D.C. weather because we've also had, I would say enjoyed, but that would be the wrong word, uh, high humidity levels. Um, I think this area of the state averages about 12 to 15, 90-degree days a year. Um, we haven't had quite that many this year, but it is unusual to have them this late. Yes, and uh, by the way, if you're new to Ann Arbor, I once read in the Ann Arbor News that the mean average temperature year-round, day-night, spring, summer, fall, winter, etc., is about 48.5 degrees. <laughs> so we'll get to those temperatures soon enough. In fact, we actually had some temperatures like that just a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, that's what makes this burst of heat even more startling. More startling, indeed. Looked indeed. like fall was here a couple of weeks ago. And how interesting that just last week Barack Obama, who was uh, up in Alaska witnessing the Arctic, first president to go north of the Arctic Circle, actually witnessed uh, glacial melting in progress. Um, it's not hard to do. you uh, in the right place in the right time. We were up on an Alaskan tour. You can see chunks of ice the size of mansions crumbling off of these things on a daily basis. Yeah, and 14 of the 15 largest glacial uh, regions of the world are experiencing melting, so not good. Uh, of course, the media was focused mainly on the... Mount big, McKinley. Yes, the big debate about President McKinley. Uh, Denali, Tamale. Well, you know, um, no one in Alaska calls it Mount McKinley. Right. And has, haven't for years. It's Denali. It's uh, what McKinley has, uh, has to do with a, a mountain in Alaska, I never understood. Um, and it was named, I think, as an executive order by Wilson, this is what I read, in 1917. And then it became a kind of a congressional sort of sinecure debate between mm. the Ohio delegation. McKinley, of course, was assassinated. Uh, perhaps his biggest relevance in American history, other than being president when the Spanish-American War started, was that he named Teddy Roosevelt his vice president in 1900 in the McKinley race uh, against William Jennings Bryan. So there was a role of Bryan in that whole thing as well. William Jennings Bryan, by the way, characterized so interestingly in the Scopes Monkey Trial, uh, or the movie called Inherit the Wind. He was, of course, the prosecuting uh, attorney in that. He was a three-time Democratic presidential candidate, of course, 
most famous race was 1896 when he talked about the cross of gold. But certainly a biblical fundamentalist and perhaps uh, appropriate that we would mention uh, the beleaguered clerk in Kentucky. Religious freedom. Hmm. I don't know about you, but to me this uh, story has gotten way too much publicity. Well, I don't really understand uh, why she's in jail. Yeah. Okay. Shouldn't be in jail. That's a theatrical, you know, sort of... Panache somebody has put onto the matter. If you have a employee of a municipal government or a state government or a federal government and they refuse to follow stated policies that are found to be official, then you suspend them. Yeah. You fire them. You know, you know what? You can't do this. Well, I'm afraid you can't work here because part of working here is processing this kind of paperwork. Well, and a similar analogy would be if I was, say, a park ranger or responsible for issuing hunting licenses, say, in the uh, in Washtenaw County. And some uh, gentleman came in and put down his money, said, I want a hunting license. Here's my money. Here's my credentials. Here's last year's hunting license. And I said, well, I don't believe in killing animals. I'm not giving you a hunting license. You'll have to take me to court. I would be fired in a second. Of course. And it would be interesting to hear the uh, so-called debate about freedom of religion, which, leave it to Mike Huckabee, he's going to, sh- we'll give him a brain damage award, he's going to show up later this week to uh, further, um, I guess, glorify the actions of Kim Davis, I think that's her name. Um, she doesn't have to sign these documents, she can allow her assistants to mm-hmm. sign them. But her position is they're not official documents because I didn't sign them. And you're forcing me to violate my freedom of religion. And this isn't about freedom of religion. This no, you is, can believe whatever you want. Yeah. You can go to whatever church you want, but you have this job. We are obligated to serve the people who live in your state. And you take an oath of office, presumably, in which you uh, promised uh, to defend and protect the United States Constitution. So, uh, you know, Marbury versus Madison, the court decides what is law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a little unclear why this has turned into a debate about freedom of religion. It's got nothing to do with that. No, it's it's a last-ditch attempt to sort of... Tear the door down, which, you know, has been opened now. They want to throw the door back up uh, in whatever way they can. And this is just a bit of stagecraft, I suspect. Yeah. Uh, phony cause celeb. So uh, and this has gotten way too much media attention. Of course, the other big story sort of dominating the news this week is the migrant refugee crisis in Europe. Mm. Um, kind of interesting. And I'm going to paraphrase, oddly enough, <laughs> from a quote by Joseph Stalin. So it was a risky uh, venture. <laughs> he once said, more or less, that the death of an individual, of one person, is a tragedy. The death of 300,000 people is a statistic. Uh, and there's an element of truth to that. It seems that the death of the two young boys uh, that washed up on the Turkish shore sort of shamed Europe into doing something but, of course, we've been talking about this migrant crisis all year on Gray Matters, what a complex real issue this is. It's quite clear that some European countries need 
more people, whether they're political refugees or economic migrants or whatever you want to call it, simply because of demographics and whatnot. But the European Union is hardly allied in this uh, debate about the policy going forward. And it's quite clear that... Um, Late-stage nationalism sort of steps in, too, at this point. Like, well, do we really... Does this change our the nature of our country? Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, several weeks ago, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Cameron, um, made a comment about the swarm of people mm. that was then turned into a debate about political correctness and that whole thing. This was connected, by the way, to uh, migrants in... Uh, France that were uh, sort of camped out near the tunnel uh, that connects Great Britain to the continent. And many of them were either jumping in trucks or walking or, you know, holding up the whole, literally the whole uh, trade uh, route between Great Britain and France. Calais to Dover, by the way, is the sort of the shortest uh, distance between those two uh, the English Channel, mm-hmm. White Cliffs of Dover and all that. Yep. Um, so it's interesting that Cameron last week said, well, we will take refugees that are in refugee camps in Turkey or near the Syrian border and or Christians, because this has now become a kind of a semi-religious debate about who should get in and who who shouldn't. And this is going to vary from country to country. A smaller landmass like Denmark, for instance, has already sort of taken a position, well, we can't take any more refugees. We don't have the space for them. And uh, this, of course, is going to uh, sort of exacerbate right-wing uh, political movements in Europe. Right. Now, the extent to which these European countries that are sort of creeping towards this xenophobic nationalism uh they're not as homogenous as they'd like to imagine themselves to be. No. This is part of the grand fantasy of racial purity and racial supremacy. Um, hey, man, by this point, everybody's got a little bit of everything mixed up in them. Uh, but there's this uh, bizarre uh, rightward shift in Europe uh, that is uh, it's Islamophobic. Um, it's uh, dark skin phobic. Uh, and there's this sense that, oh, well... This isn't the country I grew up in. I don't want to live in a country that's. this looks like someplace in America. Well, of course, America is, is a different kind of a model of country. Historically, it's been a nation of immigrants. But I think the extent to which there's immigration cross back and forth between European countries is being forgotten. Yeah, well, they've had a there's policy. plenty of French who live in Germany and Germans who yeah. live in England and... And open borders, they've had that in Europe. It's sort of similar to the fact that in the United States, if you live in Mississippi, you can take the freeway to Alabama. Uh, And and most European Christians are not practicing. No. So as a religious issue, it's nothing to do with, uh, oh, they, they should be like us, they should be Christians. It's simply fear of the other. But, of course, some of the broader issues related to the economic conditions of the world here in the 21st century, leaving aside all of the cultural debates about integration and cultural cohesion and all that sort of stuff, 
Um, you, and this, of course, has is, is reared its ugly head here in the United States uh, in the form of Donald Trump. He has largely exploited um, fears about Mexico and China to gain a, a sliver of the Republican Party. And I think the media has clearly overstated his overall support. Let's remember, he's only scoring about... 15 to 20 percent total of Republicans. In other words, four out of five Republicans don't support Trump. So Trump is sort of taking advantage of this gigantic field that has scattered support. It's pretty clear that Scott Walker is uh, going to slip into Dullesville and become irrelevant, I'm afraid, in several weeks. Uh, well, here's hoping, because he's, in many ways, the creepiest of the uh, uh, The recent issue of The Nation magazine calls him the most cynical candidate for uh, president since Nixon. Uh, and he's actually been called uh, the most divisive uh, politician in Wisconsin history in living memory. Also shocking, since uh, Senator Joe McCarthy served that state uh, in living memory. <laughs> Um, but uh, some point uh, last weekend, I guess it was, Scott Walker was trying to jump on this anti-immigration bandwagon. And I think that's the mainstream Republicans' great fear of the ugly head that is Donald Trump, is everybody's trying to out-crazy him. Mm -hmm. And so it's really sort of a bumpy ride for the uh, party mainstays, whoever they are. Of course, they're happy to throw red meat to the fringes and to get the... Uh, Religious right, uh, all stirred up and so forth about abortion. But uh, Scott Walker's on TV talking about, yeah, I support the wall uh, between Mexico. Yeah, I think we should make Mexico pay for part of the construction of the wall. We should even make a wall between Canada and the U.S. That's a new level of crazy. <laughs> okay, the Mexican border with uh, the U.S. is uh, 1,989 miles. That's a pretty long wall. Probably going to be pretty expensive unless Michelle Bachman's plan to have the Chinese come in and make it will work because they made such a effective wall across their country uh, those centuries ago. But the Canadian border is uh, 5,525 miles and, oh, it's the most frequently traveled uh, commercial border in the world. Yeah. So uh, what kind of lunatic proposes a wall between the U.S. and Canada? There's no crisis there well it's all talk 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 and uh, and uh, needless to say it's interesting because the the the, the wall the so-called metaphor of the wall has come into play hide under a rock mentality in in the hungarian serbian yes situation uh of course hungary built a barbed wire wall apparently and of course the <clears throat> well they famously had a wall back in the uh 16th century, uh, over which they battled with the Turks, then the Ottomans. Yeah, and, and the, the image of, of trains moving migrant workers or, you know, Hungary, I think, has been somewhat embarrassed by their conduct in the last week for obvious reasons. And yet there is a legitimate uh, uh, justification on the other side about some of the broader issues of uh, how do we deal with... Uh, all these refugees, there's virtual silence in the American media about why these refugees are fleeing 
their native countries in mainly Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. Mm -hmm. Gee, I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah. This, of course, is American foreign policy run amok and has been pretty much a disaster. There have been European countries, by the way, that have participated in this uh, foolishness uh, in the Middle East and in the so-called Near East, but many did not. Germany and France, for instance, were adamant in opposition to the Wisely Iraq war. abstaining. And, of course, the chaos in Syria is an exceedingly complex uh, international event of the 21st century, but there's no question when you hear the numbers that there are you know, four million refugees. There are two hundred to three hundred thousand dead. There's all sorts of factionalism going on, and it's the chaos in Iraq that contributed mightily to the problems of the Syrian civil war. And the potential for further destabilizations are very real and very strong. All the emphasis now is on oh, uh, the European refugee crisis. Let's not forget that. Pretty fragile countries like Lebanon and Jordan have already absorbed have absorbed hundreds of thousands of refugees yeah. from Syria, Iraq, um, and have been housing them for years now. So uh, these are not countries that have the most stable uh, political structures, and uh, who knows? And of course, the refugee problems in those countries. Are even causing problems in the in the in the Middle East uh, that further exacerbate this sort of proxy war that's going on in Syria. Uh, obviously, at some point, it strikes me that Assad will simply run out of money, uh, and, and as well as uh, human beings to support his side. But um, what's going to happen? With the continuing migrant crisis is is interesting in and of itself. Germany pledging to take eight hundred thousand people. These are very very different numbers than what other Europeans have committed to doing, and some are, are pretty much outright refusing to accept refugees on the grounds that we don't have the economic wherewithal to deal with this situation. So it's fascinating to see the American media call this a failure of European policy. Clearly, that's part of it. But there are some bigger uh, failures of American foreign policy mm. here that are part of the problem. And we certainly know that countries like Greece and Italy beleaguered economic nations with uh, unemployment rates that are very similar to what we saw in America during the Great Depression. And both of whom have a proximity towards these crisis regions that makes them the first logistical stopping place for refugees. And interesting to hear on the BBC last night that an Egyptian billionaire has offered to buy a Greek island to house hundreds of thousands of refugees. Uh, who knows? But maybe that's a uh, a tangible asset that Greece can part with. I think they have hmm. quite a, a number of islands. they got a, quite a number of islands. Maybe they can find one that's... Uh, Semi-habitable, um, though how you sell an island, I don't know <laughs> how that works. But uh, in the past, uh, we've seized islands and 
Speaking of William McKinley, well, <laughs> Puerto Rico is part of the legacy of the Spanish-American War. Yeah, in the late 60s, the Beatles briefly looked into buying an island off of Greece and splitting it up between the four of them and all having a, a place to go to get away. But uh, one of their uh, advisors said, oh, you know what? Greece is a military hunter right now. We probably don't want to have anything to do. Oh, right. Good point. So, <laughs> Yeah, depends who you're doing business with sometimes. It, indeed it does. And uh, interesting to read, you know, a couple of weeks ago in a sort of an analysis of how Trump is uh, doing with the electorate. It's interesting that part of his support is coming from an element of people who are, to quote uh, Carl Tominelli, a retired New York police officer in Londonderry, New Hampshire, he said, quote, people are starting to see, I believe, that all this political correctness is garbage. I think he's echoing what a lot of people feel and say. Another supporter cited Mr. Trump's outspokenness when asked why his support remains, quote, so high, which I would question as a description of his support, says, quote, as inappropriate as some of his comments are, I think it's stuff that a lot of people are thinking but afraid to say, she said, and I am a woman. Oh, I think that's very true. I think yeah. there's an element of, uh, you know, cons well, cons the word conservative doesn't really even apply or mean anything anymore in this conversation. So uh, there's an element of the right wing voter who is filled with hate and uh, insecurity and fear. And, of course, that's exactly the emotional climate within which Fox News shapes their message to the world. Um, the extent to which they reveal their hypocrisy by uh, condemning Trump over the uh, blood coming out of everywhere comments, which uh, Trump is just a carnival of uncertainty and chaos for the Republicans. I mean... David Letterman's probably regretting having retired. Yeah, John Stewart probably wants to go I, back to I, his job. I think one more year, Dave is thinking. Uh, one more year. This is just going to be too good to pass up on. But uh, And I think it's, it's dragging everybody down Lunatic Creek. Uh, I have to compete for the attention. That's the other thing about Trump is money's no issue for him. He's already a celebrity. He's got media experience. He's charismatic. He doesn't care what the heck people think or say about what he thinks or says. And so now everybody has to sort of up their crazy just a little bit. Ted Cruz is firing off a machine gun where the barrel's wrapped in bacon, talking about machine gun bacon is the, the most delicious kind there is. Okay, that's unelectable behavior. So I, I think Trump is doing an interesting thing here. Yeah, and Huckabee is going to be in Kentucky this week. Kentucky. Singing kumbaya outside the jail cell window of the uh, woman who refuses to do her job. And to borrow a, a little ditty from the Capitol steps who were in Ann Arbor on the 4th of July. Uh, Huckabee, Huckabee. He's going to Kentuckabee. It's, 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 got, it's got great Beatles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let it be. Um, imagery all about it. As for Trump, by the way, his support in a recent uh, relatively 
interesting poll, not the largest sample, I might add, but uh, one in which they sort of called out the uh, the real voters, the ones that are likely to show up in a primary, scored uh, on August 10th 16%. That's got a plus or minus of four. It says the tally is less, and this is from uh, the Civis Analytics um, in the New York Times. This was provided to the New York Times. It says the tally is less than a, a public poll more than a month ago, but is still more than any other candidate. Ben Carson at 11%, Bush at 10%. So I think that even despite all of the, maybe Trump barely survived the first debate, and of course last week he admitted and acknowledged that he would support the Republican nominee regardless. Yeah, he can say whatever yeah, he wants. Exactly. That doesn't mean anything. This was after a meeting with the RNC chairman. The fact that Ben Carson's numbers are so high suggests that every single uh, Republican of color that they surveyed probably threw down with him, uh, but uh, the durability of his political message is, is not going to be long, I suspect. There's an article in today's New York Times about, in fact, how uh, concerned Republicans are with the uh, anti-immigration aspect of Trump's message. Uh, his poll numbers among uh, black and Latino voters are abysmal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the Republican Party is trying to reach out. This is something that they learned in 2012 that, oh, we have to not openly talk about, uh, you know, white culture and Christian culture, although Latinos are Christian, Mexicans are Christian. Um, in fact, in, in higher numbers than, than many uh, Caucasians. Yeah. Uh, uh, Caucasian so the, the hypocrisy of the Republican Party on, you know, oh, we have to be seen as a party who has outreach into these, you know, minority com communities like, well, that's just talk. Well, and yet, just talk. And of course, the the infamous metaphor of the big tent. Well, there's a circus act going on in the big tent. There's lots of Indeed. them. <laughs> and uh, the big tent, I don't know how big it is, but. It's got a lot of small-minded people in it, so... Uh, Indeed it does. Go enjoy the carnival. <laughs> Stay away from the corn dogs. Stay away from the, yeah, the deep-fried butter. Uh, Tilt-a-whirl. Might be able to get that in Iowa. Well, it is Labor Day, and of course, uh, uh, organized uh, labor is uh, under assault. No better poster boy than Scott Walker for that issue. But I'm increasingly becoming uh, wonder, wondering more and more about what I call disorganized labor here in the United mm. States and the future of uh, work here in the United States. This is not really being discussed in any substantive way by either party, either major party in this election. Of course, the Democrats should appropriately so. And, you know, how uh, nice to see that Detroit continues the tradition of a Labor Day parade, uh, organized labor uh, brought you the weekend, as they say, forty-hour work week, and some standards, some health standards, and and legitimate issues about the exploitation of workers, particularly as the industrial revolution uh, exploited uh, poor people. It was organized labor that basically actually helped the American family attain what we've been sold as the American dream. Yes. And, of course, there's complex historical reasons why organized labor flourished so effectively in the 40s and 50s, 60s, 
the world had been destroyed by the uh, wreckage of World War II, and America, the United States of America, did account for 40% of GDP. Those days are over. But it's interesting to note uh, in the, all the economic turmoil involving China that there are reports of manufacturing jobs returning to the United States, even in the textile industry, because America now has a comparative cost advantage in producing cotton textiles again in places like South Carolina and Georgia. Once you factor in the enormous costs of transporting goods around the world, it makes sense. And it would be nice to see more of that happening. But it was interesting just a couple of weeks ago to see a report uh, about the workplace turmoil at the uh, corporate entity known as Amazon. Mm. <laughs> Uh, gr gr you know, outrageous work weeks. Uh, we, we don't need to go into the abuse stuff. I think Monty Python can take care of that department. <laughs> A very uh, unhappy. No, I'm, I'm here scenario. for abuse. But, you know, 80-hour work weeks, yeah. exploitation of quote-unquote managers that are not paid overtime. These are a lot of big issues that I think uh, the, the United States needs to confront more substantively about what is the American dream? What are our standards? What are our ethical um, approaches to what we call work? Because obviously things are changing rapidly. And I mention Amazon only because they're one of the big American corporations that's survived, so to speak, this so-called stock market correction. Amazon doesn't make money, but they are a scary big entity uh, that is definitely displacing and affecting the workforce in many ways that we don't yet understand. Well, and their ability to sort of monolithically uh, move product has sort of given them a weird position in the publishing industry, for example, sure. where they can control uh, aspects of distribution. And intellectual property mm -hmm. rights. So these are all 21st century problems. Uh, the uh, We were talking just before the program began uh, the shockingly high numbers of young people who are unable to use their neck muscles to pull their heads up so that their eyes face forward when they walk, uh, drawn downward by the digital devices in their hands. Um, as they bump into lampposts. And other people and cars at some point. Um, so it's a different world we live in, and we need to start figuring it out. Well, we'd always like to thank Andrew for working on Labor Day. <laughs> yeah. Our reliable engineer here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City calling is coming up shortly. Uh, we're just about out of time. I think I heard uh, Jerry getting ready down in the studio. Um, so kind of... Uh, Kind of an interesting week to reflect on some of these bigger these bigger issues. I just hope that Kim Davis falls by the wayside. I don't know that we need to hear any more about her. Um, I'm anxious for the next installment in the Gamrat and Corsair soap opera. Yeah, they're uh, they got some local meetings coming up. I think so, they're uh, uh, facing something like an expulsion. I don't care about the adultery, by the way. It's, yeah. Who cares about that? It's Was there an abuse of uh, public resources and workplace uh, malfeasance, that sort of thing? I think those 
do need to be legitimately investigated. Um, well, and the people who elected them should look uh, with a little bit of shame at themselves. It's like, wow, we really elected these morons? Well, they were Tea Partiers. So hooray for the Tea Party and the Mad Hatters in it. Cherry Mack coming up next here on WCBN-FM AM.